everybody, and welcome back to the Broadway Jets podcast. You'll know me from Twitter as NYJ Mike. I'm joined as always by the master of receipts, NYJ Matt. And today we are joined by a very special guest. It's Mr. Michael Nania, the stat wizard of Jets X, Jets X Factor. Uh, and, and Michael, we're just very excited to have you on. Talk some stats, talk some Jets roster building. Like this is just the best time of the year. The season's upon us. We're feeling good. We're about to tailgate week one. How are we feeling? I'm feeling great. Thanks for having me, guys. I think this is my third time on, and the last yeah. two times have probably been my two favorite podcast appearances. That's and cool. I'm not just saying that to ham it up right now, <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm excited. Yeah, we're ready to go. We have a lot of fun things to talk about. Right off the bat, I want to get your thoughts on the news breaking today that Ruben Foster was getting tried out by the New York Jets. They're obviously not deep at linebacker. What are your thoughts on Foster right out of the gate? Yeah, I think my first reaction is definitely that this is probably, it would be the biggest risk that I think Joe Douglas has taken on a player in terms of off-field questions, because Joe Douglas has kept it very clean since he's been in here. As far as I can remember, and maybe I'm forgetting someone, I don't think that they've taken a chance on anybody with significant off-field questions, or at least close to the extent that Foster has. Um, But if they feel good with him off the field, and you know, his, um, the couple of uh, allegations that were against him and charges and stuff, one of them was apparently made up. The other one was dropped, um, but it's still not good, obviously. So if, if they're okay with it, and Robert Sala is um, obviously probably a huge backer in this, considering he was drafted in Sala's first year as a defensive coordinator, then um, I think there's a lot of upside talent-wise. He's coming off of a big injury, uh, or the past couple of years have been taken away through injuries mostly. Um, so he has that question too, but in his rookie season, uh, even though he was a low first round pick, he was, he was showing star talent in his yeah. rookie year. So I think there's a lot of upside if they're okay with the off field stuff. My thought is that if the jets built this whole and they fostered this whole environment with all these good people, then if you put one guy who has a little bit of a shady past, they should be able to overcome that. Just like the old Patriots yeah. all the time. that has such a good culture. That any, you know, once in a while they want to take a chance on a, on a weird guy or like a guy who might be an asshole, whatever. It seemed to work out. Yeah, uh, I, think, I think that's a really good point. I think that's one of the positives of building a culture like the Jets have is that you can take a chance on players like this and feel confident that they can come in and, and kind of instead of, them ruining the locker room, the locker room kind of has a positive impact on them. So I think that is something you could feel good about if the Jets are able to build that kind of culture, which it seems like they are. Good point. Now, 53-man roster was cut down on Tuesday. I'm a very optimistic fan. Mike is as well. When we look at the cornerback group, the inside linebackers, edge, even you know the running back to a little bit, I'm just not thrilled what has happened in the offseason. And I think that's fair to say you can't rebuild everything. But at corner and edge right now, no depth at linebacker. Um, can you give me a reason? Give me a stat. Give me something to make me feel more confident about that group. Because we keep going back and forth on Twitter. Two years of experience at cornerback is unbelievable. Well, at corner, I think Bryce Hall is where the optimism starts. I look at what he did last year. And I feel like he played at an average starter kind of level as, you know, a fifth-round rookie who was thrown in in the middle of the season. 
had no training camp. Obviously, most ro- rookies didn't, but he was injured throughout most of the season. Just got thrown right in, was playing against Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Darren Waller, DK Metcalf, all these star guys. And he put up pretty league average production. He was one of the top three to five rookie corners. There were guys drafted in the, in the first round last year, like Okuda, CJ Henderson, who were much, much worse than he was. So I th- I'm confident, not confident, but I feel like Bryce Hall does have a good chance to be an average or better starter as their number one guy this season, especially in the scheme. I think it's a good fit for him. Um, he does really good in zone, different types of zone coverages on the outside. So I feel like he does have a good chance to play well. And then in the slot, I feel like you can be optimistic there. Michael Carter II, Javelin Gidry were probably their two best defensive players in the preseason. They were locked down in coverage. They didn't give up anything. And it's because they were just consistently covering so well out of the slot. There were no throws to be made against them. So I think whoever starts there, we still don't know who it's going to be. Yeah. I think that you you could get good production out of them. And Gidry played well in the two starts, three extended games that he played last season. So slot corner, Bryce Hall, I think there's a lot of upside there. Beyond that, look, we have we have no idea what's going to happen. It's just it's literally all rookies beyond those two. Now that Bless Austin is out the door, Dunn, Pinnock. Eccles. So we have no idea. And rookie cornerbacks generally don't play well. So beyond those, uh, beyond those two spots, it's probably going to be shaky, but I do think in the slot and with Bryce Hall as your quarter, as your number one corner, I do think there is some upside to get potentially average or better play there. I think the jets are trolling us though. Like they're really like trying to have the, you know, no experience in this position. It's the most important position, but at least if the jets, you know, get that production out of Bryce Hall and, and then the slot corner is becoming one of the more important positions in football. Um, but speaking of the slot, Jamison Crowder, not at practice the last couple of days, were, you know, quote-unquote injured. We're not really sure. Trade rumors are swirling. I, I, I put it out on Twitter. I said, I don't want to just trade Crowder. I think it's more important for Zach Wilson's early development. You know, anything – is more important. That's the most important thing for the Jets right now. Um, what kind of return would you be comfortable with if the Jets were to trade Crowder? Yeah, I agree with you. I'm a big Jameson Crowder fan. I think I've been pretty vocal about my Crowder fandom throughout his years here, um, especially last season when there were, you know, some people are kind of comparing Barrios to him. Can you replace Barrios? Would he produce just as well? No. Crowder's a good player. Um, I think he's a probably a top bottom half of the top 10 slot receiver somewhere around 10th best um which is crazy because he's probably not going to play a big role in this offense and it goes to show how much depth they have now um not a huge role um or at least not as big as the past couple of years um but i like him i think that like you said i the most important thing to come out of the season is going to be the development of the quarterback and it's the most important thing for this franchise in the future so i really think that the depth that he can bring and the fact that one, two, three guys can get hurt at receiver and you can still have Jameson Crowder out there is really important and more important than what a fourth round pick could do for the future of this team. Um, third round pick, I might think about it just because of how much depth that they have. Yeah. Um, I think that you could get, that's a pretty good value for him considering what his role might be. But anything less than a third, I, I'm going to quickly hang up that phone and I'm going to be happy with the depth that he provides for the rookie quarterback. I think it's a good point. And I, the narrative from Crowder being a very, very good slot guy. And like out of nowhere, Twitter was like, oh, can we stop pretending like Crowder is actually like a really great receiver? It's like, where did that narrative change? 
I know where it changed. The moment they got Elijah Moore, everyone devalued Crowder. You saw what injuries happened last year. The Jets were putting out players that aren't even on NFL rosters a year later. Two of them aren't even on a roster. So how are we going to go from the Colts game where you have Josh Malone and Jehu Chesson playing Chris Hogan. The- <laughs> he Chris Hogan. And like looking at that game, three people could get hurt and the Jets would still have the receiving core of Crowder, Cole, and Jeff Smith, which is all right, if that's what happens, it happens. But there he is, whatever. Yeah, you have. Depth. I love the take that Crowder's good. I don't know where, out of nowhere, people started saying he wasn't good. But the the other question I had for you is a little off topic, but to bring some light here, Mike and Mike, if you had a hundred snaps at edge rusher, how many quarterback pressures would you get out of a hundred? Just in general, in the NFL, in, general? in the NFL. How many um, pressures? What constitutes a pressure again? Like, I just really have to make the guy move? Yeah, I guess if you, like, get an angle on the quarterback and he reacts to it, you know? If, if you do something without – even if you don't knock him down, but you make a move, something like that. I think I, I think can get, like, five pressures. Five? A hundred? I don't know, because I'll just put the number out there right now with the averages for edge rushers. Edge rushers in the league last year created pressure on about 10% of their <laughs> I said 5%. So that's 10 out of 100. So as a regular human being, I feel like probably zero. Maybe one then. I'll change my answer to like one or two. I think maybe if I get 1,000, I could get one or two. So where I'm going with it is, Mike, you go for one. Nanny, you go for zero. I'll go for zero out of 100. That's one less than Jabari Zuniga had after 100 (laughs) pressures last year. So just wanted to get that off. Uh, Obviously, the Jets cut him, looking to bring him back to the practice squad. Uh, but no, I think it's a good job by Joe D. He's going to fucking cut bait. If the guy's not the right guy, you just uh, don't hold on to him for too long and do the whole like, Oh, he drafted him to keep him around just for him to just do nothing. Yeah. He did nothing. I always go back that he had the fastest 10 second split at the 40 in the combine. And I I read that stat one time and I don't even know if it's real. And I just always (laughs) like in my mind, I was like, wow, he has a fast get off. We got to keep him. Uh, but Nanny, you talked about the rebuild and how important, obviously, quarterback is. We want to go through Zach Wilson predictions. A lot of people people have done it, but on record, yards, touchdowns, interceptions. What do you have for Zach Wilson, given that he plays every game, all seventeen? So I actually did a whole article on this, the Jets X Factor. So I'll go ahead and spill the beans. I have some very exact predictions here that I'll throw out, and this is like you said, if he plays every single game. So obviously, the numbers will seem pretty big. But this is assuming he plays every single game, which comparing Sam Darnold, obviously Darnold missed a few games every single season. So his numbers were a little bit lower um, and we're adding the extra game this year. So um, these numbers aren't actually that absurd as they might sound at first when you consider they're over 17 games. So I'm going to give him 561 pass attempts, 366 completions, 4,063 yards, 24 touchdowns and 14 picks. That's what I got. That'd be awesome. I'll set the record. Uh, what does Namath have? 4,007? Yeah, I think so. So, so but, he would have and, the record. And see, like, that's what would be crazy, like that he would break the record. But this is if he plays all 17 games. And most Jets quarterbacks don't start every game, so they don't get the mm-hmm. chance to put up those numbers. And the, it's we've, we're seeing passing records every single season, so it's inflated and it's not necessarily as good as, you know, Namath's record or even right. some, some Ken O'Brien seasons in the eighties, maybe even Chad Pennington's. I would take um, $200 out of my bank account right now for Josh McCown to have played 16 games in 2017. What oh, do you think man. of that? It's a waste of money. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he would have done like 3,700 yards. Maybe. 
What were the touchdown and interceptions you had there? I'm writing it down on uh, my 24 and 14. Okay. Revis. Revis and Fitz. Mike, what do you have? I'm going to go with 3,900 yards, nice 230 yards a game. I think the Jets are going to be – the Jets are going to move the ball a lot. Zach Wilson's going to throw 27 touchdowns and challenge for that rookie touchdown mark. I think Baker Mayfield holds it. Unless Herbert beat it last year, he might have. Um, and I will yeah, go with – I believe he did 31 last year he got. Yeah. So I'll go 27 touchdowns, and I'll go 15 interceptions with 3,900 yards. If we do completion percentage, I think in this offense, he's going to go right, 64, 65%. Let's go 64 and a half percent, split the difference. Wow. Mike, we are. And also some perspective yeah. on mine. So that would be uh, 4,063 would be 239 yards a game. That would have ranked 21st in the league that year or last year. So it's, wow. it's really not that crazy. It's a good point. Very fair. I, the mid, midway through 2020, Darnold led Jets history with yards per game with like 219 or something weird. So Darnold was already number one. I had Wilson going for 225 yards per game. So I'm like very close, 3825. And I had 28 touchdowns and 15 picks. So <laughs> one more you, touchdown and uh, one more 80 yard pass has me behind you. If you want to spice up the graphic, to, uh, I'll say Zach Wilson's going for 5,000 yards and 40 touchdowns. <laughs> Fucking dude, I mean, look, this offense. First of all, Corey Davis is going to have 100 and. 10 catches like well that's the thing we just don't know really what elijah moore is going to be like we haven't seen Corey davis and moore and mims and crowder all together and keelan cole in, a, in any game in any preseason game like nanny do you think that elijah moore is going to really play like a huge role in this offense and it probably seems so with training camp but then you saw you know Corey davis guys like that stepping up in preseason how are they going to split up you know uh, all of these reps and, and I guess tight ends not really going to factor into it. So yeah. maybe that's the answer. Yeah. Uh, the preseason really kind of muddied up his, produ- his projection because I feel like before the preseason, all of us were all in on Elijah Moore being that guy who's going to get a hundred catches mm-hmm. and really light it up, but you don't see him all preseason. He doesn't make any plays in a real game for you to latch on to like Corey Davis did. Um, and then you saw all those other guys rotating into his spot, Jeff Smith, Keelan Cole, Crowder, a lot of guys playing first-team reps, but I do feel like the number of guys that you saw rotating in for him kind of exemplifies that all those guys are kind of in the same boat and they're going to be a little bit further that, down the depth chart and more is going to be that number two guy with Davis because another big part of this offense is that they're going to play a very low amount of 11 personnel compared to the rest of the league. It's usually going to be 12 or 21, so you're going to have a fullback in there or a second tight end. And there will only be two receivers on the field. So I feel like you're going to see a lot of Davis and Moore out there as the only two guys. And they're going to be able to eat playing that way because those tight ends and fullbacks are not going to attract many targets. And the passing game is going to be built around those two receivers. So I think both of these guys have a chance to really dominate the passing game. And that as deep as they are at receiver, I think it mostly will just be those guys serving as depth options. They'll get in there, but this is going to be a light receiver offense heavy on fullback and tight ends, even though that's not the strength, uh, but that's going to allow Corey Davis and Elijah Moore to eat up a lot of the targets. So I think they both could have big years. Yeah, look, even if and like the numbers are predicting for Zach Wilson are, you know, still below league average in terms of yards, maybe touchdowns will be a little bit higher up in, again in terms of league average. But think about like 2015, Fitzpatrick threw for 3,900 yards in 15 games. 
um, which again, it's not like he threw for 5,000 yards, but you still had Brandon Marshall go for 109 catches and 1,500 yards, and you still had Decker go for 80 for 1,000. So there's room even in these kind of offenses for, you know, huge receiving seasons. And I, maybe this might be the best receiver duo we've had since Corey Davis and Elijah Moore. Yeah, I think the 2015 duo is a good comparison production-wise. They're, they're not going to combine for 26 touchdowns, I don't think. But just in terms of the way that offense was structured, I just pulled it up right now. So their third leading receiver was Bilal Powell with 388 <laughs> yards. And then Anunwa. And then Anunwa after that. So it was all those two guys. And I could see this being that kind of offense. And, again, it doesn't sound like – Oh, no, he lost Michael Nania. Mid-sentence, we mother, lost Nania. Mother of God. All Let's stall until he gets there. back. What do well, we do? We can talk about how much we hate the tight ends. <laughs> what the fuck? Why did they cut? I mean, the Jets obviously re-signed Ryan Griffin and Daniel Brown, but... Look, I'm fine with the Herndon trade. I think I when the trade happened, I go, we're going to get a conditional late day three pick. It was a dumb trade. He could have been something. He has potential. He was good when he was healthy, except for obviously last year, everything went wrong. So maybe away from Gates, he can get back to that 2018 level. And then... He fucking didn't. <laughs> then his laptop died. Tough, tough, <laughs> tough break. Tough break. But, He's going to come back. No, I agree with you, but it's yeah. just annoying because the Jets keep cutting players at positions where they don't have a strength. And, you know, or trade. So the Jets go into the situation where you have clearly a hole at tight end or not the strongest tight end depth chart and receiver and a cornerback it's a, you know, who the fuck knows what's going to happen. And then you cut your presumed number two corner and you trade your starting tight end. So are the Jets serious about, you know, the thing that I want to know is are the Jets serious about winning in the short term? And I don't think they are. And it's frustrating to me because that was one of the reasons why the Jets traded Sam and drafted Zach Wilson. So they could reset the quarterback clock and try to win a Super Bowl with a cheaper quarterback. And, now it's like, oh, let's wait until next year. Let's cut our starting corner. Man. Let's trade our tight end. And it's a little bit frustrating, to be honest. Well, I, I, I get that if Chris Herndon continues on his career trajectory, he isn't going to make it any difference. And if Bless Austin is a career number two, number three corner that we hype up maybe more than he deserves, maybe these two moves doesn't impact our win total this year. My fear is that plus Austin took all the snaps with the first team, some of the second team in training camp. And you're like, okay, he'll lock down. He's a veteran. He's played under the lights before we can use him. Now we can't. That's a problem. I'm so fucking tired of hearing we're going to be eh, this year and not great. But then next year we can really fight for, you know how many times we've done that where it is this year is not it. Like, all right, 2017, we we're going to go. zero and 16, everyone predicted the worst. All right. 2018, yeah, we have a young rookie. Next year's going to be better. 2019, uh, Gaze, year one. Mono year. injuries next year, yeah. yeah. Half and then time. here we are again. That's why it's one time the judges have to go for it. And look who I'm, it I'm is. I'm so sorry. I didn't even notice my <laughs> laptop was dying. Dude, we're good. We stalled. Um, I, I, know, I know exactly where I was. If you want to just <laughs> pick up right yeah, there. Yeah, continue. Pretend nothing happened. We're talking about our tight end situation, so this is better. Okay. And again, this doesn't sound like what 
sort of the narrative has been with the wide receivers this offseason with them being so deep. But I think that's just the structure of this offense. And I think the Titans last year are a good comparison where Corey Davis comes from. The Titans ran a very low amount of 11 personnel, the second least in the league, a lot of 12, a lot of 21. And so that allowed A.J. Brown and Corey Davis to dominate the offense. It was always them two on the field as the only wide receivers, and they hogged up all the targets. And I think this year – Corey Davis will be in that A.J. Brown role in terms of being the number one guy. And then Elijah Moore could be right there next to him in the number two, or they can interchange. But either way, I think that's how it's going to be structured. Um, You're going to see a lot of tight ends and fullbacks on the field for blocking and establishing the play action game. But the targets are going to be dominated by those two guys, I think. How great we're going to have like Jamison Crowder coming on third down and catch like a nice eight yard pass for a first down. And then you have, I think on third third downs though, we are going to see a lot of a third receiver coming in. Oh, for sure. First few downs, I think it'll be those two, but third down then, and like they did in the preseason, um, Vitor just put up a breakdown Jets X factor Mm -hmm. that looked at their personnel in the preseason. And on third down, they went to 11 personnel. So three receivers almost every single time. And they passed on all of those. So I think that's when we'll see Crowder, maybe even Cole sometimes. And then Mims, if it's short yard or goal line, coming into the game as that third weapon. If Mims has a good matchup, the Jets could throw him the ball. Oh, my, throw it up to him, this fucking maniac. And I'm, I'm, ver- I'm still very high on Denzel Mims. Yeah. That is the one part, Nanny, when you dropped off for a minute, we talked about the, the movement, right, that this team is doing, the youth factor. Is Bless Austin being cut the best move? I don't know. What I don't get is I don't think having Mims as your fifth receiver fits your plan of, okay, this year maybe we're not going to compete, but next year is a year. And I'm tired of that mindset because we hear it every fucking year. And it's, it's honestly insane that every fan is going into this year, not every fan, some fans are going in and saying, you know, 2022 is really where we're going to hit the ground running. Yeah, you can think that after the experience and a young team, but you get to watch your team play football 16 times in, in, a, in a year, 17 times. <laughs> I, I cannot believe that some people who last year, the Jets are maybe right. Oh, and four. They're like the year's over. That is September of 2020. So you're going to wait two full years to then enjoy your team thinking that they can compete. It, it, it couldn't be me. And I think the Jets schedule this year isn't that good. I'm only afraid of three teams and that's Buffalo, Tampa Bay, and the Tennessee Titans receivers. Anything else? I'm not really terrified of the the schedule. I think any time the Jets step on the field, minus Tampa, they have a shot to win, and they shouldn't be more of a double-digit underdog in any game. No, and you forget, just because last year was so disturbing, it was, like, so disheartening and weird, that's not going to happen again. Where Jets are just – like, they're going to play normal football games. And, Matt, you always put out the graphic where the Jets have not lost a normal football game in, like, three years. They either get blown out or, like, the worst thing ever happens – this year, they're going to lose normal games. Robert Sala is going to be a good coach, hopefully. But he can't be like Gase last year, and it's it's going to be a lot better. Yeah, Matt, I, I totally agree with what you said in terms of that mindset of the team. You know, 2022 is when we'll compete. This team's building for 2023. I think, yeah, in a perfect world, that's mm-hmm. when they're probably going to first start to compete for a Super Bowl. You have a rookie quarterback. You won two games last year. We all know this is a process, and they're not going to win the Super Bowl this year. But at the same time, I think I just think that mindset of uh, nothing matters this year. It's all about young talent. Like we're not going to win any games. 
we'll see you in a year. We'll see you in two years. I don't think that's the mindset that you should watch the game as watch the game with as a fan. And I don't think that's the way that the team tries to build. Yes. They have their eye in the future. That's why they have so many young guys out there and they're taking this approach and they're banking on their development, but they also spent big on Carl Lawson and Corey Davis and all the various other free agents they signed. Um, so they could try to win games and that's how you get better. You got to win to progress. And if you're winning with a team like that, that has so many young players, then you can build off of it going forward. So I think, um, like, we know this is a rebuilding team, but at the same time, I think you should still be excited to watch them play this year and expect that they can win some games because this is not that tough of a schedule. I agree with you, especially you, you look at the quarterbacks. There are so many young quarterbacks on there. Now you are going to probably be, probably be playing Mac Jones twice. You'll be playing Tua mm-hmm. twice. You'll be playing Teddy Bridgewater. Not a young quarterback, but, you know, a not-so-good quarterback. He wears gloves. He's stupid. Yeah. Mac Jones is fat. <laughs> so it's not – and you're going to be playing Carson Wentz. You're going to be playing Joe Burrow, who's plenty of potential, but for now is unproven. It's, and you're going to be playing Houston. It's not a very tough schedule, really. There's no reason this team can't win seven or eight games and be in that in the hunt. I don't know if it was one you guys tweeted that, yes. but that, that was a great tweet. Like, I always just want to be in the hunt. Like, yeah. okay, so if we can just win the next five games in a row, we're playing our best football right now. Yep. Pittsburgh is a tough schedule. Miami's a tough schedule. And we'll be right in that mix. That's I where to, I want to be in November. I used to, when in high school, I used to write on, like, the chalkboard in class. I would keep a list of, like, what needed to happen for the Jets yep. to be the playoffs in 2012. Like, before <laughs> Sanchez imploded against the Titans that year, the Jets were, like, six or whatever. They were, like, six and seven. And if they beat the Titans and the Jaguars lost or whatever, then they had a chance to make the playoffs. But, dude, Sunday afternoon, the Jets – you know, you hear the CBS music, and then you look, and it says, no, and the Jets are 5-6, and six, and you see the Jets logo, and you're like, fuck yeah. And we haven't seen that with this new logo. We just haven't, literally haven't seen it. Maybe once when the Jets, I think in 2019, the Jets were 5-8 and eight and technically in the hunt when they lost no, to the Ravens. They were in the hunt. I have a picture on my phone. <laughs> I, I, I'm not kidding. I, I go through my photo library to find some maybe old photos of Jack Gans, whatever. And two days ago, I went back and I had the photo. It was a conversation between Mike and I. And I said, it finally happened. It was an in the hunt. <laughs> so stupid. Unbelievable. I remember uh, in 2019 kind of having that fantasy. They went on that three-game win streak. We're like, they're playing the Bengals. The Ravens don't uh, have much to play for. They yes. went out. You know, and the wild card ended up, ended up being 9-7 and seven that season, Tennessee. Yeah. yeah, they could have won out, gone eight who, and eight. Who was the backup? Is it who was the backup for the Bengals that before Andy Dalton was named the starter for that week? Oh, I think it was Ryan Finley. Ryan maybe? Finley. Ryan yeah. Finley. Yeah. I remember on Twitter, right? Ryan Finley was gonna start, and then Dalton started, and me and Mike were like, "God fucking damn it!" And everyone's like, "Why do you care?" It's fucking it's Andy Dalton. I was like, "You don't think Andy Dalton has a better chance to beat the Jets than Ryan Finley?" <laughs> We fucking lose. It was one of, and there was weird. That game was weird too because there was a huge run by Bell that got called back for a holding. We there got like, like three straight holdings. There were two or three straight yeah. holding penalties, and that killed the drive. Robbie dropped a touchdown. That would have been huge. That was a terrible game. But you're I right. Danny said, "Yeah, that was one of the better." That, I'm sorry. If you win that game, and the reason I put it as in the graphic that I make as a terrible loss. You lost to your second winless team of the year. The Dolphins were 0-8, right? Yeah. Whatever they were. And the, it's just terrible. Terrible. Remember Nanny said that was one of Sam's better, more under, under uh, what's the word, underrated games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, but, he was uh, good in that game. There were a lot of drops. His stats didn't look that good. He was really good in that game. Hey, boys, I have breaking news. I have breaking jet news. Oh. 
Jabari Zuniga has been signed to the practice squad. Let's go. The Dude, legend continues. Pro- he's just, he just <laughs> needs some time to develop. He just needs some time. The problem with Jabari Zuniga is he wore number 92. And when you wear number 92, you're more of like an interior kind of guy, like Sean yeah, Ellis. That, that's the problem. He's got to get a five as that first digit. Then yes. he'll be okay. Oh, well, maybe not 50 is David Harris. Oh, it's tough. We have to find the right number for oh, Jabari Zuniga. 50, no, Rashad is 55. How about 50? No, I don't know. There's not any good 50 numbers available. 51? Ruben like, Foster is going to take 51. <laughs> I, I tweeted today. You know, I know I know when tweets are kind of like not a good tweet, and I'm like, fuck it. And I tweeted that Braxton Barrio said he wouldn't give his number to Ruben Foster. And it got like 500 likes, and someone replied. And they're like, this tweet is garbage. How does it get 400 likes? And I was like, I kind of agree with you. This tweet isn't good. But <laughs> I do always like those. When I said Jeff Smith threatened to like – Oh, Trevor take, Lawrence. Yeah, take the 16 jersey off his cold, dead body. Got like a 1,000 <laughs> likes. And I'm like, I don't think Jeff Smith said that. <laughs> he definitely did. Oh, man. I can't believe Jeff Smith won the battle of the Smiths. Smith on Smith crime. Poor Vincent. That was oh, Vincent surprising, though. Was that surprising? Because I think obviously Vincent Smith is is a better special teamer than Jeff Smith, but I think they like him as a route runner. And they yeah. do those end arounds in the preseason. I think it was a little surprising because I think he played better overall in the preseason. He's played better in the regular season because Jeff Smith last year had that great Broncos game. Then after that was very bad, frankly. But um, I think he's and also he has more special teams value, which Jeff Smith hasn't really shown. Mm-hmm. But I think Jeff Smith kind of. We saw him more so in those roles as, you know, throwing screen passes to him, um, the jet motion stuff. I think they could see him filling in, like, the Elijah Moore shoes better than Vincent Smith can. Even though Vincent Smith can do those end arounds, I think he's more of a – Yeah, he had one against the Eagles in 2019. That was the worst game ever. The worst. No, actually, no, it's not. There's so many games. games That was – the Patriots game was worse. Um, But I think Vincent's more straight line speed. Jeff is more of that short area quickness. And I think they could see him filling like those Elijah Moore shoes if they need to. So is Braxton Berrios going to return kicks, I guess? Yeah, I I would think so. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it looks like. I'm cool Mm -hmm. with that. I love him as a punt returner. Why not? No, punt returner for sure. But as the kick returner, I mean, Corey Ballantyne was good. And they cut him. a good kick returner. That 70-yard return in the preseason. Oh, man. Dude, I'm, I'm feeling good, man. We're winning 10 games. <laughs> just, I, I'm feeling good. Screw the corner. I, screw the edge rush. Screw the linebackers. It just sucks. <laughs> if Carl Lawson was healthy, I really would really, really, really convince myself the Jets are winning 10 games. Because you could really, you could make an argument the Jets could have had a top 10 defense with Carl Lawson. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and now it's, exactly. you know, it's probably not going to happen. I mean, unless like Bryce Huff is a psychopath. I You're can't believe we have to play Carolina week one. Yeah, fuck that, dude. I want to root for Sam. I want Sam to throw three touchdowns. Not against the Jets. I want Sam to do week one. I want the Jets to murder the Panthers. I just was if if Sam was on a different team, or I mean, if he was playing a different team, I would love for Sam to go out and just have a nice week. But you have to hear the narrative. Like, here's ugh. what I don't get: people that like Darnold after the year, right? They were like, "Why are you still talking about Darnold? Like, whatever, he's gone. That's fine." And then. The preseason game, everyone's tweeting about him who hates him, and they're making fun of him. And I'm like, oh, I'm guessing Darnold has like three picks. He was like 19 of 23 and like two touchdowns. And people, I'm like, you can't get mad at people for talking positively about him and then only tweet about him even when he plays well. It's a very weird dynamic. I'm very excited for that game to be over with. We all want the same thing. We hope Darnold throws five interceptions and the Jets win by 80, right? I'm completely fine with that. But of course, the NFL making it week one, it just throws like a ridiculous 
narrative in there that we have to deal with for the entire day. Yeah, I mean, the whole offseason, obviously the narrative would be there, but just the fact that it's been their next game for four or five months now, it's, you know, we've had to hear it constantly. So I'm excited for that to be over. So, you know, you could just go ahead and root for him to, whether you want him to succeed or not, just go ahead and do that and just not have it relate to the Jets as much. Uh, So we can do our thing with Wilson. They could do their thing with him. Uh, we sort of move on, but it, it's such a high stakes opener. I'm going to be at the game, so oh, it's going to awesome. be the, the greatest game that I could, that I've ever seen as a Jets fan. And I've seen some wins; they've actually won more games than they've been to than they lost. But uh, it could be the greatest game I've ever seen live, or it could be uh, very depressing. And I got to follow it up going to the Patriots game the next week. So oh, we're go- there's we're so much downside, there. but so much potential between <laughs> those two. What do you think of Mac Jones? Yeah, I think I think it, as it pertains to the Jets in Week Two, I think. Cam would have been a tougher matchup because I think the way this Jets defense plays, like you saw it in the preseason, they're just charging upfield. They're leaving gaps open. If you have a running quarterback, I think he'll punish that. And Cam did play decently against them last year, put up some points, almost beat them, or did beat them, almost he blew played it. well in week, seven, in this week 17. Yeah, in that game as well. So I think uh, he would have been better. And this is going to be Mac Jones's first road game. He's a rookie. He probably won't have a great season, just like Zach Wilson probably won't have a great season. Um, so I think that Newton probably would have been better, but w- Mac Jones looked great in the preseason. I think him and Wilson were clearly the two best quarterbacks, the most in control, making the best decisions, looking the most confident. So um, perhaps this is the start of, you know, another uh, – well, not another. The Jets haven't had a quarterback to make a, this sort of rivalry, but perhaps this is finally the Jets and the Patriots both having franchise quarterbacks for a long time. Dude, Zach Wilson – I mean, I was happy when the Patriots got Mac Jones just because I didn't want them to get Fields, the more highly rated prospect, you know, just going off of, I don't know, percentages, if that's the right word. But, like, Justin Fields was projected to go top three, maybe. And Mac Jones, who the fuck knew? And I can't believe they didn't have to trade up for him because for two months, Mac Jones was going to be the number three overall pick in the draft. And, that, well, and that's what that that's was what just, it, I think that was just the 49ers. Right. That. And then, the, and then everyone made fun of them and they kind of thought, well, maybe we should look at other people. I I'm not happy that Mac Jones went to new England just because I don't want them to have a young quarterback who is a first round pick because in the AFC, the quarterbacks are incredible top to bottom. Right. I tweeted out the other day, you have four to five elite guys, eight guys who were top five picks. And then, you know, you have the, random guys that are okay right so I, i'm just nervous about the afc quarterbacks if trevor lawrence and joe burrow and justin herbert continue to pop then you throw in mahomes lamar josh allen deshaun watson if he goes to denver or somewhere he stops just, going to the massage parlor correct but i know we only have two and a half minutes left so any closing thoughts here i know we didn't have a lot of hypotheticals and stuff for this one want to keep it very jet centric as we move to week one but nanny or, or mike anything um i mean i'm just like i said i just this is such a crazy start to the season that they gave this team with the two teams that they're playing and now that mac jones is going to be a quarterback for new england um they could start zero and two and we could be uh, jumping oh, off of bridges in two weeks or they could start two and oh and this could be the best we felt about this team legitimately because i feel like every year we say oh this is the best i ever felt about this team this quarterback whatever um other than when Gase was here um, although I was kind of positive too after all those signings, but legitimately the best that we felt about this team in a long time. Or they could just split it, enjoy one. Another one's not so good, but what a crazy start to the season we're about to see. If the Jets are two and zero, I will do bad things. 
I don't know what. I'm, I'm what going through as well. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to like. <laughs> I think it's cool, though, that if week one doesn't go their way, week two, you have a home game against your rival, against a rookie quarterback. Like that energy in the crowd will not be affected at all yeah. if whatever happens in week one. I agree, but if we are 1 0, it's going to be like just a little bit more insane. I mean, that, and, isn't that 2009, right? 2009, they were 3 0. Then they beat, beat the Titans. And yeah. then, they, then they, they played New England at the home opener with their mm-hmm. rookie quarterback. And then they beat the Titans. So the maybe Titans. some deja vu. But, dude, I'm t- if the Jets are also 2 0, like they're going to make the playoffs 100%. <laughs> I love <laughs> you can, like, you're actually like. At that point, you're in an insane spot, and the Jets have a very legitimate chance to be two and zero. It's not, you know, these are beatable teams. Hey, if you're gonna lose a game, lose to an NFC team because it doesn't affect the tiebreaker at the end of the year. So, Carolina loss is not the same as a Broncos loss. Dude, right. close, closing thoughts. I got stuck in the hurricane last night with my boss. I'm out drinking. It's like twelve thirty in the morning. Couldn't get an Uber. Couldn't get a taxi. Had to city bike like thirty minutes back to my apartment, and I almost like. I almost drowned. So just, you know, happy to be here and uh, wanted to share. And, you know, it, it, the reason I lived, I think, is because the Jets are going to win 10 or 11 games this year. <laughs> it powered you through the hurricane. <laughs> I love it. All right, boys, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining Nania. And we'll right. talk-